Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets. Interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Hello, welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. This is part two of my interview with Dave Mendel, the showrunner, writer, producer, director. I gotta be honest, I saved this second half of the interview till after the Emmys because I thought we'd all beat winners. And unfortunately, we did not win for production design and Veep did not get to take home best comedy this year. Now I'm no one being biased, but Veep is my favorite show, and I'm really bummed just as a fan that it didn't win. Um, not to mention personally losing, so it's a bummer. It is absolutely a genuinely wonderful thing to be nominated, and it's a, such an exciting experience to go through with your peers, and it is. It's, it's an honor. And to be brutally honest, it's a lot harder to lose once you've won. I'm not going to lie. It makes me cherish my win two years ago a lot more, but it still sings a little bit to lose. I have a wonderful time with the Creative Emmys. I even got to meet set decorator Lydia Marks from a previous episode. I interviewed her about her work on Fossey Verdon. Uh, so that was cool. It was cool to finally meet her. This past Sunday, the Emmys, uh, I was invited to the HBO party since I was nominated for an HBO show, and I did my usual stalking of the Game of Thrones cast, and once again geeked out and uh, demanded a picture with John Oliver, and he was kind enough to oblige. I'll put some of those pics on the blog. Uh, The decor of the Governor's Ball was simply divine. I'll post some of those pictures. And the HBO party was even better. A gorgeous event with all gold and black decor. And it's a huge Emmy head in the middle of the party. It was super cool. In this episode, Dave speaks about how the dialogue of Curb Your Enthusiasm morphs itself from an outline to the hilarious show that you see on screen. What his favorite episode of Seinfeld is. And uh, bonus... There's two of them. How he got the Curb Seinfeld reunion together with uh, Larry David. His time on SNL and how it schooled him in show running. His feature Euro trip. The Veep finale and how sad I really thought it was. Writing for the whimsical Cat in the Hat. uh, An amazing story about Yoda. (laughs) And uh, his co-authoring of the book Star Wars Art, Ralph McQuarrie. I mean, I really geek out over this man. Again, uh, I gotta say, I'm sorry about the audio. He's on the louder side and I'm on the quiet side because my mic didn't work. But once again, his stories is what you're listening for. So I hope you enjoy. I'm gonna... Yes, anything. Yes. I'm gonna ask selfishly this. Now, I always heard that Uh Curve was basically an outline. Yes. And then you just, it's sort of free-for-all, or on the set, you come up with the exact... Usually what happens is, 
um, on the years that I did Curb, it was Larry, me, and my two old writing partners, Jeff Schaefer and Alec Berg. Jeff Schaefer still does Curb with Larry, and Alec does Silicon Valley and Barry. So we're still all in the HBO yeah. family. We're just not working together, but we still talk all the time. Very smart, very smart. Um, and uh, we would outline the show just on a board, you know, and just figure out the stories. And then Larry was the one that usually went off and kind of did the first write-up of the whole thing. And oftentimes we would have, like, runs. Like, we would discuss funny, like, what if they talked about this and that. And if it wasn't essential, essential, often we just kind of kept it out of the outline, but we remembered it ourselves. So we knew, like, we got to try that when we get to the scene. But the, the outlines would be about, they were, they were thick outlines. I mean, it's not like they're single lines about a scene. Because in a given scene, it'll say, like, Larry is angry about this package he got and that he, you know, he got a gift from Susie and he couldn't open it. And we might stick in. She says, try a box cutter. And we might put a joke in there, like, about who am I, Muhammad Atta? Because that's a joke that you really kind of need for that scene. Um, and then, but then we might just go, they make other suggestions about opening it. Larry is frustrated. Then Larry brings this up. Then this happens and this happens. So all of the what has to happen and the essential jokes that need to be done and the essential sort of emotional whatever is there. And, you know, you get a, you know, multi-page, you know, six, seven-page sometimes outline that, believe me, if we had to go home and write a script, you could write a script in less than 24 hours. You literally, it's all there. But the, hi, how are you, all of that stuff gets a real natural feel. And then it's very similar. I mean, it always felt and, like they were just right. talking. But it's very similar to where we then try and get to on Veep, which is where we start to try and mush it up a little and have the character, the actors talking on top of each other. And even if we said, hi, how are you, we try and get them to actually don't just wait, just jump in. And so it's funny that while it's two very different approaches, when you get to, especially when we have the scene and we're in there at the end, excuse me, throwing new lines and stuff at the actors, at that moment, it's very Curb-like. Because right. it's almost like that live rewriting. But yeah. Because then it's new. Yes. And it's, they're trying that for the first yeah. time. They haven't read it. They haven't memorized it. So when on Curb you're doing that and you have to pick locations or sure. sets or anything. Well, again, we know what this, we, we know, know the big know scene that. is. And a lot of times it's Larry's house. It's Jeff's house, whatever. And then, yes, it's like... Correct. We're going to, yeah, we, we know there's a restaurant, but we need a restaurant. We need an open kitchen because we need something where Larry can get up to go to the bathroom, but when he's walking by the open kitchen, he sees the chef, uh, right. I don't know, scratch, sticking his finger in his ear. I mean, right. This is a terrible, you know, pitch. Um, but so then we go maybe to one of our usual restaurants or we get pictures and go, oh, they don't have an open kitchen. We need the, uh, so now again, because we're trying to see something that will send us to it. But we did... We do very little bit. We did very little building on Curb. Do yeah. you prefer to write like that? Or do you prefer like lines? I won't. I mean, you know, look, on Curb we got into a real rhythm where we it felt like we were writing lines once we got there. Because obviously as they start to, go, as they start to you know, improv it, it takes a shape. And then the improv is getting repeated. It's not different every, every take. And so then we, as the, the writers and the, you know, sometimes also the directors, we are shaping it with them. And so we are starting to write lines. It's just a very different 
way of doing it. I, I like both. But again, I mean, talk about sort of the the adrenaline flying or flowing, yeah. I should say, because, the, you know, it is very like there's that. nothing there. I mean, there's stuff, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Because then do you then this is probably a stupid mm-hmm. question, but then does it take longer to film that? No, it's, I mean, sometimes, like, oh, yeah, we got that. I'll right. tell you the funniest thing where we do, and I've always said this from back in the day, every now and then we have a purely informational scene. Like we'll have a scene, I'm trying to remember, like Larry needs to watch a weatherman on television delivering a report about a tornado. And we just write, weatherman does this. And we hire an actor and then we get there and we have to start on the moment, like trying to write what a weatherman sounds like. And those scenes take forever because they're not funny. But like if we had just spent 20 minutes back at the office, we could have like YouTubed a weather channel and just stolen some real information. So those are the ones that take a long time. But the truth is, Jeff, Alec, and I, we all really learned to write sitcoms under Larry back at Seinfeld. That was my first sitcom job. And so we very much speak the same language in terms of, you know, Veep is different, but how I do Veep is very similar to how Larry and Jerry did Seinfeld in terms of, you know, the way the the room runs and actually, in some ways, while the room does a lot of punching up and making things, I think, funnier, very much trying to have one writer responsible for an individual episode and that writer is really doing most of the drafts and stuff. And then at some point I'm taking it as the showrunner, but individual writer responsibility as opposed to sort of the kind of common, if you will. And I guess it's, it was certainly way more common on multicams, the sort of the group write, you know, room kind of a thing. And I, so I, everything I've learned, like I said, I learned a lot from Larry. And so on Curb, you know, we, we, we all spoke that same, if you will, Seinfeld language. And so it was a very easy jump into not having the scripts. Because again, right. it was both our familiarity with the style and our familiarity with each other. Yeah. yeah. And you were on Seinfeld for four seasons? Three years. Three, three years. Yeah, the final three. Yeah. And I, what would be, now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to geek out again. No, no. Um, I had seven seasons of Seinfeld's videotape oh, wow. with no commercials. Very nice. I still have them. Very nice. Those are collector's <laughs> items. I'm not so much. You you keep those. Yeah. Um, what, what, uh, what's your favorite episode? I guess my favorite of, of mine is probably, I mean, there's two, I guess, for me. You'll laugh at the second one I'll get to in a second because it would have given you a heart attack. Um, my first one, my favorite is, my, my real favorite favorite is the, the Bizarro, Bizarro Jerry. Yeah. That's my favorite. Um, and obviously, you know, we're sitting here in my office and behind you is my bizarro collection oh, yeah, of right. toys and stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the manhand stories about my wife, my now wife. And so she loves hearing that. Um, and, oh, yeah. No, she grew up. I tell this story, but uh, I'll tell it again. She grew up on a farm in Maine. And so she has hands that have, you know, dug in the dirt. You know, she has sort of like hands like that. Whereas, yes. Whereas my hands, I was raised as a young prince in New York City, and these are like, my hands are probably more beautiful than your baby's hands. Like, they've done less work. They've like never, they've never done an honest day's labor. Yeah, exactly. They're just, these hands are just beautiful. Yeah. Um, So she always referred to her hands as farmy. That was her own word. And I changed it to man hands. And obviously, 
we then the joke was we actually used a man one of the I think it was yeah. one of the grips to play the hands yeah, yeah. but um so you know and now we're married we have children so you know these are good things um uh, that was my courtship of her very elaborate um so I love that and the other one the one that would have given you a heart attack was Peter Melman and I uh in the uh in the final season of Seinfeld, we did the backwards episode that starts oh, in the, the it starts yeah. at the end in the, yeah. the wedding in India, yeah. and we did a full Indian wedding with like an elephant and oh, everything. Yeah. yeah, it was like full on. You would have gotten a real kick out of that. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah, the sets on that I are so iconic. Yeah, but. Yeah, they're multicam. They are and they aren't they because are, what happened so is many. we as the shows got so much bigger and more it was complicated. Not uh, regular for those days. No, I mean it was like Seinfeld. Really, like Seinfeld was. ends up being the almost in a weird way the bridge, if you will, between multicam and single yeah. cam yeah, because yeah. we did start to do so much like exterior stuff and other yeah. stuff. And again, we were still shooting multi-camera, but it, it was verging into the way we think of modern-day single camera. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that was, especially as the shows got really bigger, I mean, Andy Ackerman, the longtime director there, and uh, Tom Azari, who was the, uh, the, the production designer, and was just so great. And one of the funnest things we ever did was on Curb, when we did the Seinfeld reunion scene, and I, Tom had like retired to like New Mexico, and we were like, "Come on out, come on back!" Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, he sort of advised uh, our production team. We had a wonderful production designer uh, and his team on Curb, uh, Michael Whetstone, who's a good friend of mine. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Got him out of retirement. Basically, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, there were all sorts of what? bits and pieces that people had. Um, I think like Jerry had his front door. I think someone else had Kramer's door. Yeah, it was just like a lot. So there were lots of like pieces. No, I didn't. But what I I did, you know, what I did have oddly enough was I had I didn't have the Superman statue, but I had a, a version. I had yeah, I had another one, and so I brought mine in and in the in the reunions that's mine now so now i have a screen used superman one no i was stupid i should have grabbed more stuff back in the seinfeld days yeah that yeah yeah that, that. so did was there always a plan to do a reunion no 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 no, no. that just kind of came out of oh, this is sorry i hit the mic for a second that just kind of came out of Larry had had this story. I mean, I remember him pitching this to me even before... We used to go to lunch before we actually officially joined Curb. Like, once a year, we'd go to lunch, and sometimes he'd, like, run Curb stuff, things he was thinking about. And I remember he had this idea... I don't even know if he would remember, that he was thinking about a flashback season to how he met Cheryl. And the idea was going to be, if memory serves, that Cheryl was auditioning for the Elaine part and Julia was better but he wanted to date Cheryl and the idea was he was going to see if no but yeah well maybe you could but the idea was that they he was going to try see if everybody wanted to come back and then do this like as a like a flashback season and then that idea went away I remember having lunch with him hearing that idea thinking that's the greatest idea I've ever heard and then by the time the next time we saw him it had nothing this is this is this is before this was like, I don't know, but for all I know, this was like the restaurant, like, like this was like the kidney season or something. Okay. This is way before we ever did the, uh, the, 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 the continuation. So, but it clearly, you know, it's versions of it stuck with him. And so after 
then they split up on the show and were, you know, kind of getting divorced. This idea of him trying to win her back by putting her in the Seinfeld reunion, which obviously you can see how yeah, it's a it's a version of it yeah. is what it became. And of course, that plus, you know, getting a chance a little bit to deal with you know, the sort of, I guess, the sort of, if you will, the reputation that I don't agree with, but the reputation of some people not loving the Seinfeld finale and Larry in particular being very annoyed when he hears it. Like, so those jokes were just like, you know, those aren't jokes. Those are just real. That's just real. Yeah. Like when Jason Alexander Cohen says things like it gives us a chance to fix the finale or whatever. And he's like, doesn't need fixing. Like that's not acting. That's just, yeah, exactly. Um, when you're talking about it being sketch comedy, you also went back, you did SNL. Yeah. That was my, I guess I, I technically, my first, first job out of college was I did uh, I did some stuff at Comedy Central and uh, and then coming out of Comedy Central, I got hired at Saturday, I got hired at Saturday Night Live. You know how cool you are. <laughs> I mean seriously. It's been a good run. <laughs> oh my God. Now I also boast I haven't missed an episode of SNL since the late eighties. Okay. Well. I love SNL. I was there. I was there at a very <laughs> it was a very strange time because my first year was the year Clinton won the presidency you and so we were. Phil Hartman yeah. was Clinton. Dana was doing Bush and Perot, which was amazing. And we were doing all this great political stuff. And then Dana left, and then Phil left. And then it was very much the sort of the rise, if you will, the, the big sort of Sandler-Farley-Spade years. And then we everybody left. And then the new cast was the Will Ferrell cast. Were you there with Beth? No. No. Even though Beth came in to direct, um, I met her... Just as a visitor, years oh. later, yeah, no, we uh, have the so guy funny. that was directing in my day was a wonderful director named Davy Wilson, who had been doing TV. You know what he's in? Actually, he plays, I guess, a version of himself. When uh, Robert Redford made the Quiz Show movie, they hired Davy and his uh, AD or TD Bobby Caminetti to play the director. In the quiz show, because he did, I don't, I don't think he did that show, but he was working in the the, the golden age of television. So he he retired. I want to say my last year may have been Davy's last year. Yeah, and then I think there was a somebody else, and then eventually Beth. Yeah. There's, I think there's only been five. Like that sounds right. Yeah. So when you were doing SNL and writing sketches, was there ever a time when they were like? that's a great sketch, but we can't, we can't production design, like we can't get it done? I don't remember that specifically. I mean, there were definitely, you know, a lot of that went into almost before, almost like pre-me. What I mean is you would write a sketch and then you would, they would be read on Wednesday afternoon. We had the big table read where everything got read. And in those days, and they don't do this quite as much, people just wrote. So like sometimes it'd be like 50 sketches, which was just brutal. Like maybe you'd take a break, but, and as a writer, you'd been staying up for like three days writing. So you're just fighting not to fall asleep. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, and, and then they would go in and the host in consultation with Lauren and the various producers, Jim Downey and whatnot, they would kind of pick the show. And then at some point the door would open and you would go in and you would get a chance to sort of see. 
Now, sometimes, like a show, you know, you, it wouldn't, you know, your sketch isn't in there. And look, sometimes your sketch isn't in there because your sketch sucked. But sometimes it was like everyone liked it. There was no room for it. There were times where it was just like we need to fit X number of sets in right. Studio 8H. And there was no room. There were times where I remember in the room, like someone would come out of the room and find you and go, could you do this? Could you change it so it's like an in-one on the set? And you're like, yes, I can. And things like that. So there were definitely, it was a component of it. But I don't remember it being like, no, 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 no. But, uh, but it was definitely, you know, in a way that obviously... And I guess we had this occasionally on some of our bigger shows, although it always seemed like there was always another stage you could get. But you're, you know, you're dealing with a live show, okay. Studio 8H. It fits X number of sets, okay. and then you can put things, Plus yeah, and on you can put things on the center stage. And there's, so there was a limit to how much show yeah. you could produce back then, especially. Nowadays, they do more tape pieces, but back then we yeah. didn't do a lot of those. So those limitations were just something you lived with. Now, that was not any of my concern right. as a writer, but right. it was definitely part of the overall concern. Yeah. So there was limitations, but not... Like yes. No, ever... no. Nothing that ever affected the writing one way or another. Oh, yeah, go ahead. How did it feel to go back? It, it's it's such a fun place to go back because yeah I went back with Julia it's such a fun place because obviously there's a lot of new people but there's also a lot of people that are still there from when I was there and this in in particular in a lot of the production departments so the, like a lot of the writers obviously there's no writer I don't think there's any writer that was there when I was there either one or two of the people that came in after I left are still there and Lauren is still there but you go into the wardrobe department and like Tom Broker and his team are still there. And then you go into the production design team and like, you know, like Keith Raywood is still there. Yeah. And so it was very cool to like, and, and, and Lauren, I think actually has said this. It's like going back to your elementary school and a lot of your teachers are still there and you're like, it's a little different. This used to be here and that used to be there. Oh my God though. There's Mrs. So-and-so. Hi, how are you? Yeah. And, and that was really fun. Was it the and, guy just oh, I don't know about that. Maybe, just the, maybe one of the, Oh no. Um, no, uh, Phil Himes, who was the lighting guy, okay. who had been there forever, and also another guy from the golden age of television. I think the story um, was they were like they used to scare the shit. Oh yeah, he. I mean, that's by the way, that's everybody's story. Yeah, he was a wonderfully, delightfully cranky old guy. But I'll tell you, and uh, it's an interesting thing when I think back on SNL, you know, because people are always like, "Well, how do you become a showrunner?" I think a lot of it, SNL, as a as a new writer on SNL you are just put into it. And so you are almost, while you're not directing the cameras, you're giving notes to your actors. When your sketch does get picked, you're going to the, the, the set designers and you're kind of going, I saw this as, it should be like an old English home in the, you know, like in the, in the turn of the century, like very like Sherlock Holmes with old books. Oh yeah, the second your set gets picked, you go around and especially anything that needs to be unique. So now I'm going to wardrobe. I want everybody to look like very, you know, again, I'm making up a sketch, like very Sherlock Holmes. And so the fact that even though you're a writer, but you're learning right from the get-go to talk to these different departments and really try and learn how to express yourself, as opposed to say, I think a lot of my friends who came to LA and got a job on a sitcom and were in a writer's room for seven years but never said a word 
other than hi to the costume person or the prop person. You know, I can remember. You were God, you know, yes, I yes, exactly. Yes, we did a, some sketch about when Hillary Clinton was trying to work on uh, health care where we needed them to make us a like health care card. And I mean, I just, you know, can remember those kinds of discussions back then in 1992. And it's a learning process because it's 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 not it's it's a, it's always a hard thing to get people to read your mind. You know yes. what I mean? Because I think too, <laughs> it's not just what's on the page either. Because a lot of no, what I what you put on the page is what there. you put on the page is what you think you they need, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, or like yeah. They, sometimes stage directions like, wait, we don't even have that. Room. Right. How do how do they know? Where is that? Do we have to build that? Is that, or is that just a line that? Just well, I'll tell you something <laughs> funny. Um, that happens on every show. Right. Every when show when on. Jeff, Alec, and I, um, in uh, 2004, we wrote and then directed uh, a teen comedy, Euro, Euro Trip, Trip. yes, yeah. which we made over in Prague. And when we finished that movie and then went on to write whatever we wrote next, the effect of, that was the first time we directed. Mm-hmm. We'd always been there. We'd always, you know, been sitting there and kibitzing, but it was the first time we were technically the directors. And so we co-directed and then the DGA wouldn't let us be a team. And so we picked out of a hat and Jeff ended up as the director. Um, But we co-directed the movie and we always say it. Um, But when we started writing our next scripts after that, I don't even remember what it was. Having directed, we got ridiculously anal about the directions. Yes, because it was almost as if for now all of a sudden we were so obsessively going like, he walks through the door. It's a two rooms, whatever, whatever. (laughs) And it was just, and, and at some point, I remember going, we have to stop. This, these things were better when we were just like, you're in a room, and then you just go, and now there's a faucet, and now, oh, there's a, there's a piano, and like not worry about it, because we got so obsessive having directed and dealt with it. We got, like, we, got, like, we got weird anal about it, yeah, and it was very funny. Yeah, it was, we had to kind of pull it back a little bit, yeah. I always think of this movie, Best Friends, with Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah, and yep. They're locked in the room, and they have to write Oh, God, together. I haven't seen that but forever, the whole yep. Thing that they're talking about is stage direction and they can't get any dialogue right and now having worked in the industry it's i wonder if that was really a joke because they couldn't get any dialogue but But, you know it's funny like even in the final script you know in the in the in the finale Mm -hmm. i had a very i guess as much as possible i had a very clear vision of you know the moment of like the fbi you know kind of taking gary away and i remember talking in the production meeting with Jim it, just early on just talking about that we needed these lines of sight so that wherever the podium was and wherever the wings were that we could that I needed to be able to do a camera that would go over her so you would see her and you know she could be giving the speech and not seeing what was going on but that the camera would see him getting taken away and that she could then turn but that the, the crowd wasn't seeing you know it was very specific and yet, when we actually got there, and obviously we used that shot, the actual moment it happens in the script was actually a little further back. But when we got it on its feet, it felt like it needed to be earlier. And it's just one of those things where until you put it on its feet. So it's not like 
oh my God, it was on page one instead of page right. whatever. It was just, it probably slid like about a minute within the scene. I think originally I thought he would get pulled away during the balloon thing, mm. during the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, 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 and when we sort of played with that, it was like, oh no, this is not, it's got to be right. earlier when she goes out and starts giving the speech. Yes. And again, it's, but when you read it on the page and it's happening during the balloon drop, it seems pretty darn good. Until you got it on its feet. Yeah. Right. I would think probably visually seeing that would have been distracting. Yes, among other things. And I think it would have been too late. And that's what it felt like. Yeah. Distracting, too late, almost like the like moment was passed. Yes. Could have helped him yes. or, or done something. In a weird way, though, it also just it, it made her reaction stranger, too. Because I guess for me, what I felt like was... You need him to get taken away so that she can then accept the nomination. As opposed to accept the nomination, the balloons drop, and then he gets taken away. It's almost that 30-second difference or one-minute difference. It's almost anticlimactic. But on paper, when it happened during the balloon drop, it seemed quite great. But it was, and again, so it's not, it just was, it just was, you know, but you don't know these things. Yeah. It's so sad. (laughs) When reading it, it's sad. Good. But Good. then watching it and the finale yeah. is so sad. Well, those two were also just falling apart. I mean, they, they were they were living it as as actor and actress, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was looking at your IMDb, and the one thing to me that sort of was just sort of like, oh, how did that come about was Cat in the Hat. <laughs> Which then I'm like, maybe it was Mike Myers, it's SNL, like I tried to draw a tree. No, it, it was a funny way that it came about, which was, um, the quick version was, when Seinfeld ended, the, the, the various Seinfeld writers, Jeff Alec and myself included, we all signed these TV deals, you know, because we were the, the hot <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I believe for the most part, Peter Melman, I think, did like two seasons of It's Like You Know. Okay. I did six episodes of the Clerks cartoon with Kevin <laughs> Smith. Um, a couple. I loved It's Like You Know. I loved It's Like You Know, too. It was really fun. I still reference from that. Which, which one? Is- they were going to the valley, and they needed all this sun. They oh, and they had, like, crazy protection and they stuff? crazy protection because we're going to the valley. It was a very L.A.-centric yeah. show, yeah. I think Entourage stole, stole that joke years later, by the Well, way. it was a little <laughs> bit in the zeitgeist, but that's certainly possible, yeah. I, I enjoyed that show. Uh, I liked it a lot. I love Peter. And Clark, um, you're in... I, that's the new movie, but we did a, we, he and I did a cartoon together, and that and like and then someone they did a Michael Richards show that they tried with him as a detective. So for the most part, we were all heavily recruited, and then nobody did any of our stuff. It was kind of it was like across the board, like and I remember people like telling me what they thought Seinfeld was. I mean, it was just crazy. But anyway, long story short, um, we all started these. We Jeff Alec and I started getting a lot of movie rewrites. So we started getting movie rewrites because it was this weird thing where in TV, nobody actually really wanted another Seinfeld. But in movies, they were very happy to get like a pass from the Seinfeld guys. So we were doing a bunch of rewrites and the rewrites led to, we did a very big rewrite, oddly enough, on Jim Carrey's Grinch movie. Oh, yeah. And we, I I don't want to get in any legal trouble, we lost a disputed... Uh, writing credit thing with the WGA wow. where we obviously felt we deserve writing credit uh, that we initially were given it and then you know the studio proposed us for it but we were we were beaten in a in a yes yeah, so we are the uncredited 
writers on it or co-writers, whatever we are. Um, but all, because of that, and we did that, again, because especially because of Jim, which was really fun, and Ron Howard was directing, and it was really fun working with both those guys. So then when they decided they were going to do a Cat in the Hat movie, because we had done a lot of work on The Grinch, that's kind of what led to it. You know, job's a job. Um, and, you know, we knew we were on this one. We were in from the ground floor. But, you know, that, that one, it was sort of, it was interesting. That went through a lot of issues that I think are probably a whole separate other podcast, which was, I don't even remember all the details. Mike and those guys were going to make a Dieter movie. But then oh, that, wow. fell, that fell apart. And then everybody was threatening each other. But then they kind of came back together to make Cat in the Hat. But I'm not sure anybody ever really got along. Anyway, I don't know. We weren't there. We were in Prague. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We left the country. Yeah, exactly. Completely innocent. Um, you know, what can you say? It was not the movie you wanted it to be. I will say that the original first draft of the script... Um, you know, before anything ever was anything, um, was actually oddly a script that we got a lot of meetings and interesting work off of, just not maybe so much the movie. Yeah. <laughs> was it interesting to write for something so whimsical and something? Like I mean, it made it very hard, and obviously, you know, it becomes that so thing. Uh, yes, uh, there, yeah. there was a fascinating interview years ago. You know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Yes, I'm so, oh, okay. Well, I'm I, I, I sorry to jump it. <laughs> Um, years ago, for one of the anniversaries of uh, the Star of Empire Strikes Back, I went to a, an anniversary screening, uh, and uh, Irvin Kirshner, who was the director of the movie, was there, and he was talking about how what a challenge the original Yoda puppet was, because it was a guy doing a scene with a puppet, and how worried they were. And of course, nowadays Yoda is you know fully digital, and he does flips and everything, and. Kirshner was being very polite. I don't think he wanted to bite the hand that feeds him. But it was very interesting because what he talked about was, without disparaging digital Yoda, but I guess that's sort of what he was doing, in a world where digital Yoda can kind of do anything, because puppet Yoda couldn't do anything and actually was somewhat limited. And they were so worried that it was going to look silly. And they were so worried that it was going to seem fake that... You know, number one, they extra rehearsed it. So, like, Mark Hamill was, like, just knew his, like, drilled his lines so that there was no, there was a, a, there was no hesitation. There was a speed to it. Then, number two, they came up with this idea of all these little bits of business. If you remember Yoda going through all of Luke's stuff and Luke getting annoyed, that kind of got added along and added in. It's weird because of the hand. Right, but but it gave, but it distracted you again from so that by the time you're so distracted by all these things, you're not thinking that's a puppet. And so they did all of this stuff. And his point was, and I, I've always remembered this. He basically said that the puppet and all these things created limitations, and creativity to overcome limitations is art. These are his words. I don't even know if he said it more than that one time, but I've never forgotten that. And so there was an element, when I look back on Cat in the Hat, where in a way, because anything can happen in yeah. Seuss, I don't know, almost, it, got, it was hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, definitely, I yeah. think that, that would be really hard, especially something iconic like that. Yeah. Something you're relating, you've got to relate to children, you gotta re- you're relating to adults. And, and by the way, and it's not just that. I mean, I guess I would say 
and I'm not looking to attack any single movie, but I would just simply say in the modern era of movie making where anything can happen digitally as yeah. opposed to the old days, obviously where maybe in special effects movies you had to build these intricate models and whatnot, whatever, a lot of times in the world of anything can happen, not much happens because it just it doesn't seem real or something. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, it, it's too much creativity in a sense that you almost get numb to it. Everything's an eleven. Everything's an eleven, and therefore nothing, nothing registers because it's just all. Yeah. If you could write, <laughs> if they gave you an opportunity to write a Star Wars, would you? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you already have it. No, I have no idea. I figure they'll tell me what they want, but yeah, no, I uh, I await that call. I'm still sitting here. <laughs> I am in no way as big of a fan as you are. Um, I did the movie Fanboys. Oh, I, I think I knew that. I did think I knew that. Yeah. So much fun. Yep. Because just diving into that world, we had like clearance from George Lucas. We could like show anything. Oh, that's fun. It was really fun. To me, I my infatuation with Star Wars because if nothing's on, I'll throw it on. Uh, a new hope. That's the one. When I write, and this is not for everyone, I'll watch. I, I keep a TV on while I'm working. Yeah, me too. And I, I I can watch things that I don't have to pay much attention to, or I'll watch things that I've seen four million times. Yeah. Because to me, it's like listening to a record. You know what I mean? It's like listening to music. So I can put on, you know, any of the original Star Wars movies. I prefer the first two, as yeah. many do, but I'll put on any of the three. Sometimes if I'm on a long run, I'm doing like, you know, 12 hours, just there's the whole trilogy. You know, and if I'm doing long, 20 hours, sometimes it's the whole trilogy into Godfather 1, into Godfather 2. You know, I'll just put those on. And because I'm not really listening, and in some ways I always think it's almost like, it, I like to think it occupies my conscious mind. It allows me to be more creative. Yes. I agree. I usually always have the TV on and the researching or purchasing sure. online at night, whatever I have to do. I usually have Howard Stern on during the day in my office. I went through a big Stern phase a couple of years ago and then stopped, but I've come back recently if I know there's like a great interview. Well, so yeah. Stern, so awesome. now yeah. I'm less with the show itself but I'm more about who's the guest yeah. although my wife played something for me lately I don't know how often they've been doing it are you you're still listening the thing where they call the woman the dial in the call in show lady. I think she's an old lady but it's always like you know, Susan, darling, yeah. it's Rocky. I'm at a fabulous party oh, on a, on the Hindenburg, and it's over the yeah, yes, exactly. She's like, oh, dear. And I laugh every time. He's like, oh no, oh no, and it, and I, it makes That's me really laugh. Good yeah, really good. yeah. The, the, a lot of Ronnie gets it's too much Ronnie, <laughs> but whatever. Like I said, I I'm more obs- like if a good interview, I want to hear the good interview. And also, he always does great Saturday Night Live stuff. And I guess as someone that worked there, anytime he's doing one of like a Saturday Night Live week or something, I dig into that too. Yeah. I get fascinated with why why is Star Wars so iconic? And one of the things I think is not real. I think the story is okay and it's it's relatable to people, but I think it's the design of it. Really, oh, yeah. That people were like, what is this? No, I mean, I think that, you know... The locations. The, the, the notion of, I mean, they, they sort of, it's always referred to in the, the books, and I think you know this, but uh, I actually uh, co-authored a book uh, um, by Ralph McQuarrie. Oh, I'm sorry, by... I co-authored a book on Ralph McQuarrie, and Ralph McQuarrie was sort of the 
I, I don't know what you would call him nowadays. I guess he'd be like the visualist. He was yeah. an illustrator that George Lucas sort of hired when he just kind of had a script to start doing what this movie might look like. And in association with George, those early drawings, and it got carried forward by all the different departments later on. But this notion of space not just being these sort of silver saucers and everybody in silver shiny suits. And they always refer to it as old space. Like that things were, yeah, dusty and rust and damaged and like a sense of like, that's not a chair. That looks like a chair from somewhere else that they stuck here. And it comes through in those production paintings right from the get-go. And it's carried through the whole... And I don't want to just give credit to the one person. I mean, it's carried through. You know, the prop guys, the production designers, they were all, like, grabbing gears and gadgets. And the model makers were using weird pieces of other models to make models and stuff. And just this sort of... This sense of imperfection makes it so perfect. And I think it just speaks to people on this other level. Yeah, I definitely think that the design of it is what keeps me watching it. Of like, man, how did you ever think of that? And then make it relatable, but we're in space. Yeah, it's somewhere completely different, but yet it feels the way like, I guess, when and if we get to sort of that kind of future level much like our own shit is all beat up and dented and whatever. And like, you know, at my house right now, I've got, you know, a kitchen sort of uh, marble thing chipping. Their their space thing was chipping. You know what I mean? You know, and that's the... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what you think about. Yeah, no. And I love that. I just love it. Yeah. I probably could talk to you for another hour. Part two. Part two. If the demand is there, if people write in, if people write in and they want to know more, we'll come back for more. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me geek out. So fun. Because I never really get to talk to you. No, I know. Because we're always like, go, 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 go. Yes, exactly. Um, But I'll be seeing you too. Yes. So um, good luck. I'll be the one crying in the corner. (laughs) For good, for good reasons. No, we'll see. Thanks. I really have to hit Dave up again. I cannot get enough of the inside stories that he has about Seinfeld and Curb. I really have to pinch myself sometimes because it seems like it just comes full circle for me. Like it's crazy. I'm not even kidding when I say that I have seven seasons of Seinfeld on VHS with no commercials. My mom worked nights and so I would tape it for her and pause the commercials and it just became a thing of, wow, we've got like seven seasons and we would throw it on all the time before they were in syndication and just re-watch Seinfeld episodes. So all I can do is pinch myself when he starts talking about manhands or then starts on that story about Curb and the cast reunion Seinfeld. I mean. I just, I am in awe of the talent. I mean, to be a part of that comedy that has spanned for decades, it's, it's amazing. Okay, I'm geeking out again. I gotta wrap it up. If you are enjoying this podcast, head on over to the review section of iTunes and just gush about it. I mean, probably four or five stars gushing if you'd like. It's cool. I mean, I know you want to check out the episode guide on the website decoratingpagespodcast.com and if you join the Facebook group you get some little extras not much, but enough thank you for listening I hope you got an earful I'm Kim Wanup for Decorating Pages
Decorating Pages is sponsored by Stogie Floating. Luxury pull float. Float them if you got them. Visit stogiefloaty.com.